Amen. Amen. Well, I wanted to get into my message this morning. We started a series two weeks ago called The Greatest Story Ever Told. Now, I did get a little bit of uh, uh, input from somebody after our first day. You know, this is more than just a story. We, we have a lot of different stories that are told in the world, and this is a significant one because it's the story of God in our lives. Uh, how many of you enjoy history? Yeah, I mean, history, I mean, I gotta be, I gotta be honest, I'm really excited about it. Even within the word history, we see his story. It's God's story, his faithfulness, the way that he's working in our lives. And so I wanted us to really look through the biblical story of how God moved and did things that he was done. We started a couple weeks ago by looking at the creation account, knowing that the first couple chapters of the Bible, first 12 chapters, cover nearly 2,000 years in biblical history. And so now we're going to kind of take a step and look at uh, what I'm going to call nomads this morning. Now, don't get excited. We're not talking about that cool 50s station wagon. Some of you won't even know what that is. Google it, all right? Chevy Nomad. They're really cool. But nomads are people who don't have a home. They're people who wander from place to place. And it is exactly this kind of people that God used to change the world. And, and I really, my hope in this, as we study this this week and, and moving forward, is the understanding that God does not pick and choose favorites. He looks for people who are willing to obey, and he can use anything and anyone that is surrendered to him that says, God, do with me what you will. And I want to kind of even address just that idea of God using us, because I know in, in Christianity, we throw this word around a lot. God wants to use you. God wants to use you. But culture. person used me. I felt like that person, they, they didn't care about me. They just wanted to use me. And when, and when we talk about being used by God in those terms, it's not in an abusive sense, but in the sense that God is the one who sees best what our capabilities are, what the plan is he has for our lives and says of us and anybody that if you are willing to trust me, I can do great things through you. But I wanted to start by uh, something we talked a little bit about last week in uh, Abraham and Isaac and take just another look at Abraham, the call that God had on his life. Um, I do apologize. Going through the story of the Bible is probably something I could take four months to do, but we're doing it in five weeks. So you're going to have to take a drink from a fire hose. Okay. So just do your best to stay with me as we go through this. But in Genesis 12, we see the call of Abraham, verses 1 through 3, and this is what it says. The Lord said to Abram, that's Abraham before his name was changed, leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. How many of the families? All the families. All of the families. And so I wanted us to take a look here because there's a lot that's taken place already in the story of biblical history uh, of what God has already done. Now, I don't know if there's any metrics to how God works through time, but if we look at the story of Adam and Eve when they were created, we have about 2,000 years from the time Adam and Eve were created until the time of Abraham. Then we have about 2,000 years from the time of Abraham until the time of Jesus, and now we're living at about 2,000 years after the time of Jesus. So I don't know if he just really likes that year, you know, that 2,000 time period, uh, but it makes me excited to think maybe God has something in store for this time and this place to do something amazing. But in this time, God is starting over. It's a fresh start. 
that's, we've already gone through the flood. God's had to wipe out sin in the world. And he's looking for someone upon whom he can build the plans that he has to save the whole world. And he goes up to this guy named Abram, who's living in the deserts of what is uh, nowadays uh, Iraq. And he says to him, I have a plan for you, but here's what it's going to require. I need you to give up everything that makes you feel secure and just follow me and trust me. Now, there are two things that happen here that I don't want us to miss. Number one, God calls Abraham and he says to him, I'm going to call you to a place that I will eventually show you. Secondly, and we can read this in, the, in Hebrews chapter 11, where it says that Abraham lived out by faith the plan that God had for his life. And here's the real kicker. He never got to see or experience it for himself. We have to understand that when we look back at Abraham, the, the real story of his life is centered on his obedience, his willingness to A, do what God told him to do even when he didn't know what God was telling him to do. As we said last week, that we can trust God's plans even when we don't understand them. But secondly, thinking with such longevity so as not to say, I'll do this because it will bless me, but saying it because I'll do it because it'll bless the world. I'll do this. I'll obey in this way because it'll bless the world. And so God gets a fresh start here. And I want to take you through a little bit of the genealogy real quick. I won't go through all of it. But there's something that takes place in the way that God does this because typically in traditional culture, the firstborn, which is what I am, my brother's here. He's second born, which is not as good. It's as first born. But <laughs> my mother will referee the fight later. Normally, what you would see happen is that whatever is being passed on to the next generation would go through the firstborn. However, God speaks to Abraham and he says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to turn you into a great nation. Abraham waits and waits and it doesn't happen. So he does the unthinkable, takes matters into his own hands, marries his wife's servant and has a baby with her. And that's Ishmael. God's like, Abraham, no, 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 no. This is not what I wanted you to do. And so we see eventually God fulfills his promise. Abraham was 100 years old when, Ab when Isaac was born. But Isaac comes to the scene. Now Isaac has two kids, twins, Esau and Jacob. Esau, really nice name. You know, for those of you who like meanings of names, Esau means hairy. Any of you who might be pregnant or considering having children, I mean, it's, it's one to consider, you know. Um, but Esau being the firstborn, he was not the one that God had chosen. Instead, God chose Jacob. Now, this is where the 12 tribes of Israel come in. If you, how many of you have heard of the 12 tribes of Israel? These come from Jacob's children. And so we have Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Zebulon, Issachar, Dan, Gad, Asher, Naphtali, Joseph, and Benjamin. But again, God does not work through the firstborn. He continues to go outside of the norms. He passes the blessing on to Judah. Now, um, spoiler alert, this goes all the way down. You can read this in Matthew chapter 1. All the way down, culminating to the birth of Jesus, can be traced back to Abraham. This one man who God said, Follow me and trust me, and I'll bless the world through you. Now, we, 2,000, 4,000 years later, we have the ability to look and see because of Abraham's obedience, the entire world has been blessed. The entire world has been changed because of Jesus, but it all stems back to this one man going and doing what God told him to do, even when he's like, I don't understand it, and it doesn't make any sense to me. So here's, again, we're going to kind of fast forward here. We have the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 children. 
They kind of come into a time of famine, and God says, listen, I'm going to save you. I'm going to protect you. Joseph, great story if you'd like to read in Genesis 37 to about 45, this whole story of how Joseph is taken out of his homeland, raised up in the nation of Egypt, which at the time is the most powerful nation in the world. Pharaoh is the most powerful man in the world at this point. And God somehow miraculously sends Joseph into Egypt, goes through a series of painful events, but gets him to the place where he becomes second in command, literally becomes the second most powerful man in the world because God said so. He becomes the most po- second most powerful man in the world just because God said so, but also because of his obedience. But after a time where God is using that relationship to bless Israel and his children, something happens that we read in Exodus 1, verses 6 through 9. It says, in time, Joseph and all of his brothers died. Everybody say, oh, yeah, that's sad. Ending an entire generation. But their descendants, the Israelites, had many children and grandchildren. In fact, they multiplied so greatly that they became extremely powerful and filled the land. Eventually, a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. And he said to his people, look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. So this is the moment in time where something shifts in biblical history that we see play out over and over again and that is still playing out to this day. And I want to introduce you to it. It's called the sin cycle. Not the spin cycle, the sin cycle. The sin cycle is the way in which we see people falling away from and returning to God all throughout Scripture to the point of him finally culminating in Jesus, but it still plays out even in our day today, and we'll talk about that in a second. But here's what happens in this cycle of sin. First of all, and if we put that up there, we start with sin, right? We sin against God. And this is what Israel did. The children of Israel, God had blessed them. He had intended to put them in Egypt for blessing. But for whatever reason, part of our human condition, we tend to take God's blessing and turn it into a curse. And instead of living in God's blessing, we read that they started to worship the gods of the Egyptians. They started to trust in the gods of the Egyptians and set up little shrines to them in their homes because they'd been integrated. So this is the sin. And and throughout biblical history, the number one sin that God speaks to is he said, you've chosen other gods over me. And we've, we've talked about that a lot, but their sin And because the only way we will ever humble ourselves is to go through oppression, God sends oppression on the children of Israel. Now, look throughout all of history, you'll never find a place where suddenly people are returning to God unless they go through a time of oppression. Meaning that God refocuses for them their dire need for him. So then they get back to supplication, which means they hit their knees and they started to pray and they started to beg God. And so God raises up a savior. Very first savior image that we're going to look at is a man named Moses. But he raises up a savior and then a time of rest comes. And you'd love to think that the story ends there, but here's what happens. They do it again. They fall away from God again. They become under the rule of another harsh king again. They become oppressed again. They cry out to God again. God raises up another savior. Then they go to rest. And then the story's over. Except they do it again. It's painful to watch. You know, there's this tendency that we have to look at Israel and, and just the things that they did. And we're like, idiots. What is wrong with them? But can we be honest? We kind of do the same thing sometimes. 
We go through that same sin cycle, right? God, I need you. God, I need you. God, I'm kind of far from God, I need you. God, I need you. I rest. We, we go through this in our lives and in our world today. We're in it right now. But here's what happens. God raises up Moses. Again, very miraculous the way that he does this. But Moses goes to the children of Israel who are in the midst of oppression, who've been crying out and begging God for help. And this is what it says in Exodus 4.31. The people of Israel were convinced that the Lord had sent Moses and Aaron. Aaron is Moses' brother. When they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and they worshipped. When they heard that God cared about their situation, it says they bowed down and they worshiped. You know, as I was kind of studying through this sin cycle this week, I look at the world around us and, and, and I, I see the same things playing out over and over again. We are living in a godless culture. We are living in a godless world. We are living in a world where sin is 100% celebrated. Things that are wrong are celebrated as being right and things that are right are torn apart as being wrong we watch it over and over again and and we're just so shocked but church can i tell you i see in this same sin cycle that has played out throughout history over and over again that a time is coming for an oppressed people to hit their knees because here's the reality, and I don't want us to miss this, because when we see the oppression of Israel, I don't want us to get into this mindset that, well, it must have been that every single person in Israel was wicked and worshiping other gods. God makes very clear throughout the Old Testament that there was always a remnant, which means just a small portion. There was always a small portion of his people that continued to worship him. But because he cared more about the lost he said, I have to bring oppression on even those who are still serving me. And, you know, we look at that and we see the brokenness of the world around us. And, and I think, you know, if we're going to learn from history, obviously you've probably all heard those who don't study history are doomed to repeat it. Absolutely. Those who don't study history are doomed to. Those who don't study history are doomed to. Come on, guys. This is what's happening to us in church. There's a time and a season coming for the church where the only thing that is going to bring us to the exodus from this moment is to hit our knees. We're going to have to hit our knees. It's not going to be through activism. It's not going to be through political, none of that. It's going to be through hitting our knees and getting back into the prayer closet and seeking the face of God. This is how it has played out through history a hundred times. People become oppressed. Their oppression reaches a point where they're like, we've tried everything else. Let's try prayer. Church, we've got to be wise in understanding that that is what God has called us to, is to a time of prayer. But they fall on their knees, they worship, they pray, they seek God, and God does the impossible. God, you know, we, we all know about the plagues that came on Egypt. We, you know, you probably heard the stories of that. Moses, God tells Moses, go to the most powerful man in the world, into the most powerful kingdom in the world, and tell him, I want all your slaves. Set them free. This is not it's not a real option here, right? It's going to take something miraculous. But God does what's miraculous. And not only this, finally when Pharaoh is like, I, I can't take it anymore, please get out of my country, go worship your God. On the way out, this is awesome, I love when I read this, the Egyptians are just like, please take all of our money and our gold and our silver, just take it and go. And they like, they're like blessing them with all this. They're like, please, we want you to just, and, and Israel becomes like rich overnight just because God said so and sends them out into the to this place that he's calling them to. They go out, 
the army of the most powerful army in the world chases after them. And they find themselves at the edge of the ocean, not knowing what they're going to do. And God parts the waters so that they can walk through on dry ground and into safety. And then collapses those same waters on Pharaoh's most powerful army in the world and crushes them. And he does all of this and they finally get to the point where Abraham, who had sat hundreds of years earlier in Canaan and God says to Abraham, Abraham, this is where your descendants are going to live. I'm going to give this land to your people. Abraham knew that. Everybody in history of Israel knew that. But they get to the, the door of stepping into God's plan for their lives and what do they do? They say, let's go check it out first. Let's check it out. You know, I was at a, a teaching, a seminar with a man named Gerald Brooks, and, and he was doing a teaching. I was in Canton, Ohio, and he said, there are four places in Scripture where a pole was taken and every single time God lost. And this is one of those times where a pole was taken about what should be done and God lost. People who said, let's do what's conventional. Let's do what's, what's humanly wise instead of seeking God. So here's what happens at this event here um, in Numbers 13, 30 to 31. It says, Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. He said, let's go at once and take the land. We can certainly conquer it. But the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. We can't go up against them because they're stronger than we are. These 12 spies that went there, two of them, Joshua and Caleb, came out and they said, guys, we can do this. God is with us. Look what he's done. He just brought us out of the most powerful nation of the world miraculously, brought us across the oceans miraculously, defeated the most powerful army in the world miraculously, and we're standing at the edge of his plan for our lives. We got to go take it. It says they took a poll. What do the rest of you think? And 10 of them said, we can't do it. We can't do it. And every time a poll gets taken, God loses. It says, we can't do it. Why? Same reason that we tell ourselves that saving the world can't be done. The same reason we tell ourselves that our world is in so much trouble because we look at it and we say, they are stronger than we are. Can I tell you something this morning? Jesus made so very clear to his disciples 2,000 years after this Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. God says, I put myself inside of you. Don't you dare say that whoever you're facing, whoever is in opposition to you is stronger because they are not. God had to make this so clear to them, but here's the problem. Because they lost in a 10 to 2 vote, they turned around at the doorway to God's plan for their lives and they walked away into the wilderness. They just walked away. Okay? God says, if, if you're not going to obey me, if you're not going to trust me, I don't know how else. I mean, if we're looking at this, what else could God have possibly done to prove himself? I mean, if, if we're going to write this out like, you know, we're just as, as bad as, as some other people that we read about, right? God, I'll do whatever you want. Just show me a sign, right? You ever, you ever act like that before? God, if this is what you want me to do, show me a sign. Show me a sign. What other sign could he have given to his might and his power? But they looked at it and they just walked away and they said, it's too big for us. It's too strong for us. We can't make it. And so God looks at me and says, listen, if you're not going to trust me, if you're not going to obey me, then I have to send you into punishment. This time, it's not just somebody else oppressing you. It's me. I'm sending you away. 
And he says, I have to do it until that entire generation that didn't believe dies off and is gone so that I can raise up a generation that believes in the power and the plans of God. Church, can I tell you when I think about things like that, that excites me. That God is looking for a generation to be raised up that believes in the power and the plans of God. He's looking for a generation that's willing to look at an enemy and say, I don't care how big you are. The God that is in me is bigger than you. I don't care what the odds look like. The God that is in me doesn't care about your odds. He's bigger than, better than you. He's stronger than you. But it takes a generation that's willing to do that. So for 40 years, they wander in the wilderness. We're going to finish up here in this story of these nomads. Because for 40 years, they are in the wilderness and they're walking around. I mean, literally, I don't know, have you ever been on an airplane and they can't land, so you just circle the airport? Isn't that annoying? It's like, I just want to land. Can't we just land? Like, there's the airport. Can we just land? This is what they did for 40 years. Yep, there's the promised land. <laughs> okay, let's go back out here. Come back around. Hey, <laughs> there it is. Okay, back to Samana. 40 years. 40 years. So finally that generation dies off and we're going to finish here in Joshua 1 verses 1 through 5. It says that after the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua. He was one of the 12 spies, Joshua and Caleb. He allowed Joshua and Caleb to live because they believed God's promise. He spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. And he said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Okay, again. Aw. Yeah, it's sad. Therefore... The time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River and into the land that I am giving them. I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set your foot, you will be on land I have given you. From the Negev wilderness in the south to the Lebanon mountains in the north, from the Euphrates River in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all the land of the Hittites. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. For I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you. I will not abandon you. Here is this pivotal moment where God begins to speak promise. And you know, it's amazing because Israel, they have not earned this at all. But God says, I still have a plan for you. Even in your disobedience, even in your unwillingness to trust me, I still have a plan for you. A plan that supersedes anything that you're doing. But here's the common denominator that he was looking for. You know, we tend to look for people who are maybe most pious, most righteous, most religious, biggest character, whatever it is. God says, I'm looking for one thing. And it's the common denominator of everything that we read through the Old Testament history. He says, I'm looking for someone to trust me and obey. That's it. I'm not looking for the most educated leader. I'm not looking for the smartest leader, the most charismatic leader. I'm not looking for the guy or the girl that's got it all together. I'm not looking for the perfect leader. Like if you go back and you read through the story of Jacob, this guy was a weasel. I mean, there's just no other, no bones about it. Jacob was a weasel. But God says, if you would just obey me, 
that's what I need from you. And eventually Jacob has his coming to Jesus moment where he wrestles with God and and he finally begins to obey. But that is the common denominator of this incredible story. Going back to Abraham. Abraham, would you obey me? Would you leave everything that is so secure and just follow me? I'm not even going to tell you where we're going yet. I don't know about you, but I'd be like, uh, uh, could we get maybe like just a destination? That'd be good. Oh, and also you're never going to see it in your lifetime. <laughs> um, would you obey me? Would you just obey me? You just trust me? Children of Israel, I just brought you out. I mean, when I think about the story of Israel, it is just so mind-numbing that God does all these miraculous things and they come out and they go and after they turn away from the, the plan that God has for them, we're told that they go to Mount Sinai and they stand at the, at the base of this mountain and, and Moses is like, listen, I'm going to go up and I'm going to go talk to the Lord. I want to hear from the Lord. And, and what do they do? After watching the incredible things that took place, it says that they gathered all of the gold earrings and jewelry and necklaces. They melted them down. They made a calf and they bowed down and worshiped it. Like, you ever get an image of God just in heaven with his head against the wall? Like, mm, mm. really, guys? What else could I do? He said, I'm looking for somebody who would obey. Joshua, would you obey me? I can use that. Moses, would you obey me? I can use that. Abraham, would you obey me? I can use that. If you would just trust me, if you would just do what I tell you to do, I can use that. And here's the thing. We look at people like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and Joshua, and we look at these, these saints, these patriarchs, and we're like, wow, God was just so awesome to them, and they had bigger blessing and greater joy and greater this and more that and bigger this. You know what they had that we sometimes don't? The willingness to obey. That's what the story of the history of the church is. It's the story of those who obeyed God. When they did, God blessed them. When they didn't, he had to punish them. But because of obedience, the blessing that God promised Abraham when he said, all the nations of the world will be blessed through you. I believe that God can fulfill that promise in our lives. You know, you look at your life, you look at my life, and you think to yourself, what does the obedience or disobedience of one person matter? I present to you exhibit A, Father Abraham. Why is this guy so special? Why is he so significant? Because he's the one who started obeying. In a generation where people were not listening to God, who had turned their back, he was the one who said, I'm going to start obeying. When it didn't make sense and it wasn't safe, he said, I'm going to start obeying. And God said, I can use that. Guys, I just want to encourage you. God doesn't love Moses or Abraham or Isaac or Jacob or Joshua or Caleb or any of those people. He does not love them more than you. He does not love them more than you. He didn't sit around thinking, you know what? I have an incredible plan for Abraham's life, but Chris, eh, we'll see what happens. We'll just let the cards fall where they may. He didn't do that for your life. He said, I've got a plan for you, but it is all hinging on one thing. Will you trust me and obey? If it doesn't make sense, will you trust me and obey? If it scares you, will you trust me and obey? If it doesn't seem easy, would you trust me and obey? If everything inside of you is saying, this is a bad idea, would you trust me and obey? Because that's what the story of God's people is all about. 
And I don't know where you're at right now in your lives, but I want to encourage you. God wants to do miraculous things through you, but it's going to take obedience to get there. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but the first step is to say, God, here, I'm here. You can, you can use me. I'll obey. And if we do that, then we'll see the promise of God unfold. Will you bow your heads with me? God, we thank you for the incredible story that we read of your people. This history, God, it's not a fairy tale. It's your people who throughout history made the decision to trust you, to follow you, to put your will ahead of their want. God, I thank you for people like Abraham who said, God, it doesn't make sense, but I'll follow you. I thank you for the faith of someone like Joshua and Caleb who said, I don't care how big the opposition is. My God is bigger. Lord, I thank you for these incredible examples and the way that we can look back through history and see that every good thing that we have seen throughout history leading up to the coming of Jesus and the cross and and our lives today, it all hinged on obedience. And God, I pray that you would just put that in our hearts today, that we have things in our lives that we just need to be obedient to. We need to trust you. And that as we put our hope in you, you're going to show up and you're going to bless the nations of the world through it. As we're in prayer this morning, I I just feel like God really wants to deal with this today. And if, if you're here and you would say, I'm in a place where I feel like God's nudging me about something, but I'm scared to obey. Can I just ask you to slip up a hand while nobody's looking? Because I want to pray for you. Yeah, thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. I want to trust God. Thank you. Anybody else? It scares me kind of to think about what God has led me up to and what He's asking of me, but I want to trust Him. I want to believe in His promise. I want the story of my life to be that they were obedient. Anybody else? Thank you. Can I ask you to stand with me? There are about five people in here who raised their hand for that. And I, I want to pray for that this morning. This afternoon, I guess we're in the afternoon now. But I want to pray for that because God's looking for people who are willing to trust Him and obey. And doing that is not always easy. But I promise you this, it's worth it. It's worth it to trust God and just do what He tells you to do. He will never let you down. God wants to do great things to your life. So can I pray for you this morning? And and let's just pray. Again, I don't know what any of these situations are for some of you who raised your hand, but God's already working on your heart. God's already tugging at you. He's already showing you the things He wants you to do. This is just a matter of how much is it going to take for me to just step up and say, okay, God, I will obey. And so Lord, I just pray for those in here this morning who raised their hand to say, God, I don't know what you're doing in my life. I see you nudging me towards things. I see you pushing me in a direction towards something that obeying you scares me. But God, I pray that you would just infuse in each one of them an incredible faith that trusts you for your goodness, that trusts you that you are faithful and just and holy and that you have a plan for your people that causes them to be successful and prosperous because of you. Lord, not the way we measure prosperity, but because of you and your will that is unfolding in our lives. And so God, I pray that you will move miraculously 
And that as these that raise their hand today take the steps, that they would see your plan unleashed for their lives. That we might even someday look back upon their obedience and say, the world was changed because they obeyed. So I pray that you would whisper encouragement into their ears, God, and block the lies of the enemy that would try to tell them that they can't do it, they won't succeed. Block the lie of the enemy that the, the 12 spies believe that it's too big, the obstacle's too big, the opportunity's too big, it's too scary, we can't do it. Block that lie, God, and infuse in them a faith that says, with God, all things are possible and I'm going to trust him. Infuse that faith in us, God. And Lord, I pray that we would wise up to the sin cycle of the world that we live in. As we watch the brokenness of the world around us, as we see the oppression of Christians all around the world, Lord, would you just bring us to our knees? Would you remind us that this is what the, the next step is, that we've got to fall on our knees and begin to cry out and seek the face of God, that there's no activism, there's no plan, there's no candidate who's going to fix everything. We need to get on our knees and seek Jesus. God, we need you. So Lord, I pray that you would raise up a remnant. A remnant of faithful followers of Jesus who say, I will hit the knee, my knees for the world around me. I will hit my knees for people who need to know Jesus. I will hit my knees for these blatant attacks of evil that are taking place on our families and in our nation and in our schools. God, would we become a people of prayer? Because it's the only way we're going to reach that point of salvation. And so God, I thank you that you are speaking to us through the story of your faithfulness. And I pray God that as we continue to study, that you will continue to make yourself known. And Lord, we give all things into your hands and we bless you in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. You can trust him. I don't know what that means for you, but I know this. You can trust him. Our prayer team will be up here to pray with you if you would like prayer this morning. I would love the opportunity to do, to do that with you. But Lord bless you, love on one another, and encourage each other. God is so good.